Well, I think this morning about just a small topic. How do you change the world? How do you change the world? And, uh, and how can it actually, how can it change? I'm going to tell you a story that you may well have heard before. It's the story of an old man who used to go on a beach uh, every morning. He would walk on the beach, um, the beach that was next to the massive ocean, every day before he began work. And uh, early one morning, he was walking along the shoreline, and it had been a big storm that night, and all these starfish were on the shore. They'd been washed ashore. And as he was walking along, uh, enjoying the sun, there was a young boy in a distance who was coming towards him. And as the young boy kept coming towards him, he kept picking, bending down, picking a starfish up and throwing it in the sea. And uh, the old man came to him and said, what are you doing? And the young boy said, well, I'm saving these starfish because if I throw this one in, it'll stop them dying because if I leave them, by the time the sun comes up, they'll die. And the old man said to him, you'll never, you'll never change things for them. And as the boy picked up another one and threw it in the sea, he said, I'll change it for that one. It's a story you've heard before. It made a difference to that one. How, do you, how does the world change? How does the world change? You watch the news and you watch Wednesday's news, for example, this week again, and it all unfolds, and it's easy to get overwhelmed by the awful things that happen in our world. And even as Christians, when we pray, we can get overwhelmed in our prayers with lament. Our lament never goes to hope. It's like, oh, God, how do things change? Well, we get to Mark's gospel, and I think Mark begins to indicate how Jesus thought the world would change and the role that we would play in it. You know that we're in the fourth chapter. And so far, the story is this. That Jesus has come, and people have been healed, and they've been set free from all of the things that have held them in the past. He's taught people. He's clearly teaching with authority. He's bringing people together. The 12 new group of disciples are being brought together. And Jesus is in danger of being shot by two groups of people. He's in danger of being shot by the authorities because he's clearly disrupting everything. And this young rabbi, this young teacher, this young itinerant teacher is starting to stir things up. And, and Mark's already told us early in the gospel that two political parties who were religious got together and they start to plot to kill Jesus. Because they go, actually, if Jesus makes things change for us, we'll all be in danger. And so the authorities are beginning to go, we've got to silence this man, Jesus. But the other thing that's going on at the same time is, um, every time Jesus does something, his own supporters have their own hearts. They can feel their own hearts beginning to sort of get thrilled because it looks like the king's come. What's the first thing Jesus says in the gospel? The kingdom of God is here. 
and that means that he's the king. And if the king's here, everything's going to change. The nation will be revived, and they've got a very clear mental map of what that king will look like when he comes. The Romans will be overthrown. We will be free. Everybody will prosper. And so Jesus keeps on having to say to people, uh, don't tell people, if you know who I am, don't tell people. Which sounds like, it sounds counterintuitive. It's kind of not what you expect. But he's always wanting to say, no, hang on a minute. You've got to get to the end of the story because otherwise what will happen is your own desires, your own ideas will run away with yourself and you'll miss what I'm actually wanting to do. Because what both parties were right about is that Jesus wanted everything to change, but what both parties were wrong about was how that change would happen. Everything, Jesus had this idea that everything can change, but the question was how. If you were in church last week, um, you'll have heard Arthur preaching about the parable of the sower, a well-known parable. where uh, It's a parable really of disappointment in some ways for sort of soils, areas of field are being sown, and three of the areas, just nothing, absolutely nothing comes of it. But one quarter of that whole episode is remarkable in its fruitfulness. If at the time you would expect a farmer to have sort of like six-fold fruit, then Jesus says, actually, this seed that goes in 30, 60, 100 times it's kind of like enough, enough of a harvest to change the future of a village, change your life. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom's going to be like when it's sown. And what Mark does in the passage that follows, he picks up this theme of how will things change and how do things change? And he uses parables. Depending on, uh, depending on what you know, for some people who went to Sunday school and, uh, to, or did RE in certain schools at the time, um, parables were sort of like taught as you were, you know, what's a parable? A parable is a way of making something very clear. Actually, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> a parable is something that doesn't make something clear, but is supposed to leave you with this picture that goes, I'm not sure what's going on here. But it's supposed to be a story you can carry. It's interesting that in the gospel it'll say, Jesus... Uh, taught in parables everywhere. Um, But with his disciples, he told them really plainly what was going on. Parables aren't there to make things really simple. It's quite the opposite. Parables are there to make you go, I have no idea what's going on here, but I'm not going to lose that story. I want to hold on to it. And what you've got in this passage we're going to read together are four little parables or four little sayings, four little images that Jesus wants to, um, to present. So I'm going to read from chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel, verse 21, uh, through to uh, 34. So 421 through to 34. Jesus said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead... Don't you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. And whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear. 
He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Those who have will be given more. As for those who don't have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And as soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God's like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. You can, you can understand why. You, the disciples kept on saying, Jesus, we don't want to sound stupid, but we don't really get what you're on about. And Jesus had to explain. But these parables, Mark's collected and kind of seemed to indicate some theme that's going on with the parable of the sower. It's the same sort of theme. Just want to look at them one by one. Parable of the lamp. Right there in verse 21. Do you bring a lamp in to put it under a bowl or a bed? Don't you put it on a stand? Whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever's concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Now, show and tell. What could go wrong? It's really, it, was, it would just have been a really simple, it's a simple, simple picture that Jesus is, uh, is, uh, is playing with. And it's one that you would get really easily. You don't really need to have any insight to this. It's kind of Jesus just says, like, everyday lamp and everyday light. What, what's this for? Well, you don't want to hide this if this is your only means of light. I know it looks pretty pathetic at the moment, but if the place was dark, you'd appreciate this more. Believe, oh gosh. <laughs> Dear holy angels, I'm sorry for burning your church down. Um, again. <laughs> what do you mean again? <laughs> they couldn't prove it last time. Um, it's kind of like this is obvious, really. Jesus says, everything that's hidden, uh, well, what's the hiddenness at this point? Well, it's him. Everything that you're longing for but's concealed. Remember Jesus at this time, he's, he's just a young guy in an out-of-the-way place. How did something like that become the main religion in the whole world? How, how did something that started there with a bunch of ragtag bobtail people in first century Judea end up being the, the only way? the good news for the whole world. Well, Jesus says, this, this is designed, designed to be seen by everyone. It's designed to be really on show. It's designed to be seen. Jesus is like the world. How's the world going to change? Well, it will only change in and through Jesus. And things that are done in Jesus' name. It will only be done ultimately through him. That he's designed for that to be the case. It's kind of like a question of, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you trust the light? That's the only 
it's the only, it's the only way things are going to change. And then he, um, he uses just a very everyday saying. Consider carefully what you hear. And I don't think it's because Jesus is saying something new here. I think what he's saying is, you know this parable, you know this saying. Whether the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And those who have will get more and those who don't have will get less. He's kind of saying, you know how it's said round here. Depending on how generous you are, you get it back. Depending on what you give, you get it back. And... Um, the way of the world is the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And Jesus says, you know that that's how it works around here. But I think in this context, he's wanting them to say, but how does it apply here and now? How does it apply to Jesus? And I think it's like this. He kind of goes, well, how much do you want? I know this sounds a bit simplistic, but if, if, if you went to God and said, God, I'd love to have a little bit of you, would you go with that? Or that? Or that? <laughs> what measure do you want to use with this? If, if Jesus is the light of the world, how are you going to respond to that? Well, that's lovely. <laughs> that's lovely. You can have a spare time. You can have my weekends. Or actually, I'm in. What measure are you using? Because the poor get, the rich, the ones that do have, they get even more, Jesus says. The ones that have hardly anything, they stay poor. And I think the idea was, it was, it was with people in front of him going, well, what are you going to use? What do you want? Do you want to get in on this? This will change the world, but do you want to get in on it, or do you want to just sort of stand on the sidelines? I think that's what Jesus meant. And then he uses a, another parable. A farmer. <laughs> I think it's obvious. <laughs> Didn't have a farmer at home, so I brought some boots. Farmers are hard to get by these days. How does this stuff work? How does this kingdom stuff work? Well, it works because farmers trust the seed. And Jesus tells this really interesting um, story about a farmer who goes and plants the seed, and um, the seed grows. Whether the farmer gets up in the middle of the night or not, whether the farmer goes and digs it out and sees, are there any roots or not? And puts it back in again. No, 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 no. The farmer trusts the seed. He trusts that actually something's going to happen around here. The kingdom is going to take root. That's what the kingdom of God's like. It's like a farmer who goes out and sows seed and goes, Do you know what? I trust this. I trust this is going to work. I'm not afraid that it's all going to collapse. I just trust that it's going to make a difference. And then finally, and this is the easiest one to, uh, to hear, he goes, um, and this is the seed. And um, here you go. Here you go. Never say I never give you anything. Even on my birthday. There you go. Happy birthday. Thank you. That is the correct response. Thank you very much. Now, can you see that? I, can, I can't yeah. see that because I've got my glasses on. I can see it. Can you see it? Yeah. 
That's remarkable. Okay, Val. There you go. Can you see it? You've got two there. Let me take one away. No, because you can't have too much of a good thing. I mean, it is ridiculously... Um, I mean, these, this is not a mustard seed because um, Maggie didn't have any in the cupboard. But um, this is sort of like the next best thing, which is a poppy seed. All right? Now, um, they, you know, you take this home. You used to use them in, in, when you were baking. Yeah, you, you kind of know this sort of world. Exactly. Where's it gone? It's in the creases of your hand, which are now so folded. It's, it's kind of ridiculously small. Ridiculously small. But actually, there's life here. If you trust the seed, something new will change and something new will grow. What the four parables have, then it's kind of like a movement. And I think this is why Mark puts it in this context. It's because actually it's designed to make a difference in the whole world. It depends on your approach. How serious are you going to be about this? It depends upon the patience of the farmer who goes, do you know what? I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to trust that it changes. And it's the belief that the seed works each time. So what does that actually look like in our life? It looks like people, he, people who are like he said. The ones who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world are the ones that do. It looks like this. This is a plaque of keys that were given to Southampton County Council two years ago. The Southampton church leaders got together with the council in Southampton, and they asked the council in Southampton, how can the church bless the city? And one of the councillors talked about the, the need for foster parents, because they've got too many children in care in Southampton. And the churches went away, the church leaders went away, and they started to pray together. And they went back to the council and they made a commitment to find 40 new foster homes for Southampton. And these keys all represented one of the doors when those foster families had all been recruited and were going through training to be accepted as foster parents in Southampton. How do you change a situation like that in Southampton? It's just small stuff, but it's people who go, we're in, we're in with the bucket, we're in for this. How do you change a city? Well, one family at a time. This is a woman, Christine Deponio, who's blind. And uh, or at least very, I, I don't know if she's totally blind, but she's um, certainly um, par partially sighted is, is as good as blind. And that's her husband who's also blind. And 10 years ago, they decided, she decided, actually, that she, she lives in Gateshead. And she decided that she would turn her home into a, an open home for people who are suffering with terminal cancer. And um, she offers free lunches, and people come in and do physical therapy, so it's massages, hair and nail care. 
And when she was interviewed, and she'd been interviewed in loads of places, she's also written a book about it, but when she was interviewed, she said it was a huge surprise. It really was. I'm just doing what God wants me to do. They need someone to be here to cry with, to laugh with, to share their hope with. That's where I come in. What do you do about situations where people are facing terminal cancer? One woman who's partially sighted, married to another registered blind man, says, we can open our, heart, our home. We could do that. It's, it's a drop in the ocean, isn't it? People are facing terminal cancer all over the place. It's like a drop in the ocean. Why would you? Well, because one woman says, this is how you change the world. A seed, a patience, a willingness, a belief that God actually wants to get involved in this situation. This is a, a chap um, called uh, Pete Cunningham on the right there. He's a pastor. He's an Assemblies of God pastor. He was in Southport, and uh, he took over a church of eight older people, and um, he was 67 at the time. And he became really concerned about homelessness, particularly, or the rough sleepers, particularly in Southport. And what he did was, in his church, they began to pray about it. Just eight people plus him. And one lady in that church had 24,000 pounds, and she bought a flat. And they housed two people. And now... They partner with hundreds of churches. Because one pastor at 67 with a church of eight people said, we could use the bucket, <laughs> but it's only a seed. <laughs> it's all of me and that little bit of the kingdom. And uh, Pete Cunningham, there's John, one of the Green Pastures tenant, says, my story shows that miracles do happen. And Pete, in an interview a couple of years ago, said, as well as caring for their physical needs, we're sometimes given the privilege of leading our tenants to Jesus. In the last few years, 32 came to faith. 19 were baptized and 32 are attending local churches. In 2005, the council in Southport said, we don't have any more homeless, uh, rough sleepers. Because one 67-year-old had said, we could do something. And now they house more than 200 former homeless people. It's possible, but it's closer to home, much closer to home. It looks like this, and it looks like... I was thinking about Janet, because I was reading an article. Was, ah, Janet. Ah, Janet. <laughs> 75, uh, one out of three people who are age 75 plus say that feelings of loneliness are out of control. One out of three people over the age of 75 are saying the feeling of loneliness is out of control. And someone like our Janet says, I could probably start something on a Tuesday afternoon for some people. And as a little group of women who find a new little community to belong to on a Tuesday afternoon... And then she goes, it's gone really well with women. I think I'll start with men. And um, <laughs> Janet's now looking for men, which is a whole different story. <laughs> but is going, do you know what? Truth is, Janet, one in 
three out of every 75-year-old plus are going, I just don't know where to turn. Your Tuesday afternoon is a seed. You're a bucket. (laughs) (laughs) That's really sad if the nicest thing that anybody's ever said is you're a bucket. What does it look like? It looks like some of you who invited people to the Alpha course. And you invited people from work and you invited people you knew. And you went, I, 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 I might look stupid here. It's a big risk. And they come along and they want to argue and they want to debate and they want to find and they want to look. And you go, well, that's my seed. I trust the seed. I trust the seed. And you put on an alpha course and you do your best. And you go, God, I'm, I'm yours because you're the light of the world. And I don't need to rush this. I'm patient. But I trust the seed. It looks like Kate. Kate, who's, we, we dedicated Luke a few weeks ago. And um, Kate invited a whole stack of people to come, and, uh, including two of her friends. And one of her friends was a Muslim lady who came to church. And at the end of the service, when we were all having cups of tea at the end, came and found me out uh, to say, she said, you had me in tears today. I said, thank you very much. <laughs> and she said, because, um, because this is what we've all been looking for, isn't it? It's what we're all looking for. It's like Kate, who a seed, but willing to take a risk and invite someone in and go, do you know what? I believe this is true, and I believe it could make all the difference. How do, you, how do we deal with the issues of fear and the stories we tell one another about folks who are Muslim? Well, you become friends with one. And you bring them to church and allow them to see who we are. Doesn't stop someone on Westminster Bridge. How do you change the world? Through the seed, through the patience, through being all in and knowing it's the light of the world. And for those of you that have still got kids at home, and... uh, you try and read and pray with them, read the Bible with them, and you pray with them before they go to sleep. What you're doing, it's the seed. The patience of a farmer that goes, I don't know if this is doing any good, but I'll keep on doing it. I don't know if it'll change anything, but I trust the seed, and I'll keep on planting it. How does the world change? This guy's a Uruguayan journalist. I'm sure you know him. Um, he said, many, the world changes by many small people in small places doing small things can change the world. How does it change? It changes by people like you and I going, we only want, have one answer. And actually the answer is Jesus. It's as simple as that. I know it sounds really remarkably simplistic, 
But it is the only answer we know is Jesus. It's a determination that we will grow. That actually, there's nothing wrong with today saying, I'm the little coffee cup, but I want to I wanna grow. I want to I get at least to the bowl. <laughs> But the measure you use will be the measure you give and that will be given back to you. And the rich in faith will be given more. And those who choose not to get, even the bit they have will be lost. What do you want? It looks like the patience of people who go, do you know what? I'm going to carry on doing this stuff. And I'm going to carry on doing this stuff whether I see growth or not because I'm a farmer. <laughs> And I know how this stuff works. I know you scatter the seed. I know you say the words. I know you don't give up. And I know it doesn't depend on me. And it works because it's the determination of hope. The seed that goes, it looks so pathetically small. But this is what I'm going to do. How do you change the world? One starfish at a time. That's how you change the world. The question is, are you up for it? Am I up for it? Am I willing to have the creativity of the spirit who goes, this is how I could use you. This is what it might look like for you. Remarkable things happening all around us every day. Let's get in on it. We're going to pray together. It's that classic thing, isn't it? You get one life. You go this way once. What are you going to do with all you've been given? If you seek just to protect it, you'll lose it. But if you lose it and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. Will you use me in my place, with my gifts, with my personality, with my limitations? Then God goes, actually, you will be amazed by all that's possible. Father God, I want to pray for each of us. Lord, thank you that you never despise the small stuff, the prayer, the willingness to reach out, the willingness to include the meal that we offer in the name of Jesus, that equivalent of a cup of cold water that willingness to have a coffee with someone, that willingness just to reach out beyond our own feelings of comfort. Lord, you never despise the day of small things. Thank you that the kingdom never rolls into town with a juggernaut. It always, always comes as a seed. Father God, we pray for the stuff we're involved with. We pray that you bring fruitfulness for all of this. Lord, for those people that we're in relationship and we're, we love and we constantly are trying just to enable them to see the beauty of Jesus, Lord, will you bring that seed to birth and make it 
really fruitful, we pray. Lord, for those folks that are on a journey with you, Lord, we pray that they'll come to know the beauty of Jesus and the brilliance of the gospel. Holy Spirit, use as we pray. And Lord, for the days when we get tied up with ourselves to such an extent that we can't see beyond our nose, Lord, forgive us. Lord, may your forgiveness rest in our lives, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Take us and all that we have and use us for your glory. Lord, we bless you. We offer you our lives again. We're going to take communion together in a bit. And uh, as we do, you know that this is, on the one hand, such a small token. A tiny piece of bread that you'll break. A really small thimbleful of juice that you'll drink. And on the one hand, it's so ordinary that it would be easy to overlook it. But this becomes a touching place for God and for you. It becomes a place where God can become, do some new stuff in you. But it's also a touching place where we're reminded that Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us actually covers over all of our shame and our guilt and that we can start again every time. this very ordinary piece of bread and this very ordinary thimble of juice is a recommissioning and a recreating of us. A recreating because it's so easy for things to die in us and for things to get um, misshaped. And Jesus comes and blows life back into us and we come back into the shape of someone who's in his image and loved. But it's also a commissioning where he says, this is my body, now go. Serve me, love me, and serve those around me. And you go with a seed of hope into every area of your life. That's part of what communion means and what we would want it to mean this morning. So as Ian leads us and the band leaders in song, but as they help us get towards communion, then recognize that this is what's going on with you. This is what God is wanting to do. He's going, will you take the seed of the gospel, the small seed, and will you carry it into every area of your life and be used by me? Lord, we bless you.